Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Tired of ads interrupting your favorite show? Good news. Ad-free listening on Amazon Music is included with your Prime membership. Just head to Amazon.com slash ad-free fitness to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Enjoy thousands of ACAST shows ad-free for Prime subscribers. Some shows may have ads. This is the Secret Library Podcast, and I am somewhat shocked to share that this is now season seven. While I was pondering the theme for this season, it felt difficult to narrow in on one thing that would be most useful to us in this moment which has been so full of confusion, upheaval, turmoil, and stress. But then it came to me that writing is like this too. And after we get started, after we've been working on a project for a while, there is a point where we're uncertain and where we don't know what to do next. It's a point many of us call the murky middle. And it suddenly felt like exactly the right thing to talk about with an illustrious lineup of authors this season, both new debut writers as well as household names, in fact. My guest this week is Hannah Dennison. Hannah was born and raised in England, but spent 25 years living in the U.S. She's been an obituary reporter, antique dealer, private jet flight attendant, and Hollywood story analyst. For many years, Hannah taught mystery writing workshops at the UCLA Extension Writers Program in Los Angeles, California. She now writes the Honeychurch Hall Mysteries and the Vicki Hill Mysteries, both set in the wilds of the Devonshire countryside, where she now lives with her two high-spirited Hungarian Vishlas. The latest in the Honeychurch Hall Mysteries is out this week, And we're very, very excited to have Hannah back on the show as she was a favorite guest on a former season. I love having Hannah on because we really get into what it means to get stuck in the middle, the various solutions we've tried, how each of us have attempted to use NaNoWriMo as a way to get through the murky middle and the successes and failures we've both had with that method. And also the tendency writers have to think of the various rituals and ways we use tricks and fun games to get through the writing process as cheating. And what it might be like if we didn't call it cheating and thought it was just part of our process. It's really my honor to have Hannah back on and to talk about... Getting Through the Murky Middle by Accepting the Way We Actually Write. I know you'll love this conversation. We really loved recording it. And I hope 
it inspires you to keep going no matter what your process looks like. Here we go with Hannah Dennison. Hi, Hannah. Thank you so much for coming back on. Oh, it's such a pleasure. I had so much fun last time. So I feel very honored that you should invite me back. So thank you for that. Oh my goodness. No, it's a, any excuse to talk to you is one I'm willing to take up. And so we're sharing this episode in November and we're talking about the murky middle of the season. And I just know you and I have had some chats about applying NaNoWriMo to your writing practice. And so I felt, given that I have a little sense of, of how you've been feeling about this, and even though you have, what number book is this that's coming out this, uh, this week? This is this 17. Week? Yeah, okay, book so 17. Nearly 20 books to your name and going into a NaNoWriMo. How are you feeling about it? I'm kind of asking the question having a sense of what the answer might be. Well, I have, I, I, I think this is my fourth NaNoWriMo and um, I've only ever finished and done the 50,000 challenge once out of that. So this time I did all the preparation, the groundwork, the characters, which are always so important to me is like, if I don't know my characters, I don't know my story. And I had a pretty solid outline and then on November 1st, I was all gung-ho. I've made some buddies on the dashboard. And uh, I I had a sort of block and I couldn't figure it out. And I, I've really struggled this time. And I'm not sure why. I feel like I'm writing into um, a black hole. Um, and I also feel that I'm learning more about my own process is that perhaps I don't do well having to do a, a specific word count every day. So I'm sort of in that murky, as you say, that murky middle part, although I think I've only done like 11,000 words. So I am, I am on track for making my 50,000, but because I'm trying to make up the word count, I'm putting incomplete sentences down or sentences that are full of expletives because I don't know where I'm going with my story, <laughs> which means that when I come round to doing my second draft, because I only do NaNoWriMo for my first draft, I probably it's probably a page one rewrite. So I'm I'm sort of questioning my my with the wisdom of doing it at the moment, but I am still committed to doing it. But I'm in that sort of um, dark space actually. So that's where I'm at. Yeah, I. This is such a question that I'm thinking about a lot lately because I was I was pondering this because part of the point of NaNoWriMo is you're getting a, a solid draft down, basically something you can work with. Nobody thinks you can just like hit send and publish it after a NaNoWriMo. Right. Right. And at the same time, because it's a relatively ambitious word count, especially when you're doing it every single day for a whole month, I'm wondering if we are almost fetishizing the word count above any other consideration. Does it feel like oh, that I to you? I completely agree. I, I think you're 100% right on that. And I had um, lunch with um, the crime writers of a, of a CWA chapter, which is our UK crime writers. And we were talking about NaNoWriMo and there was only one other author who was going to do it. And she... She's quite well known. Her name's Elizabeth Dulcie. This is her 10th NaNoWriMo. She always wow. does it 
for her books without fail. But then she did admit too that the 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 quality of her writing does fall behind because she's just determined to make the word count. And so I found the last the, this book I've just finished, which um, which comes out on Thursday, actually, um, I didn't do NaNoWriMo on that one. And I was very methodical about really writing a solid first draft with attention to each sentence, not like over editing. And I wrote that book so quickly. I think I wrote it in four months, which is unusual for me. So I, I, I suppose I keep thinking I can I can be that writer that sits down and can just bash out 50,000 words and then go back and tweak. And I don't think I am. So it's so interesting that you wrote this book faster. I did. When taking, so how long did it take you to write the first draft with attention to each sentence? Um, I think it took me six weeks. Okay. Um, But I wasn't, I did it a sort of game with myself where I'd write down my word count um, but I wasn't beating myself up if like, one day I only did 900 words because psychologically, because so much of writing procrastination is psychological games that you think of how, oh, we, yeah. whether it's like working to a 15 minute timer, which is another favorite of mine is like, I can write for 15 minutes. I know I can. Um, was that there were days when I completely forgot how many words I needed to write and I wrote more. So it sort of balanced out. Um, so actually, as I'm having this conversation with you, I'm thinking about giving up my name. Um, <laughs> that was like five minutes from <laughs> I'm determined to finish it to actually, you know what, because what you just said is like, you only needed two extra weeks. I did. Have... But that's true. Oh my gosh, I, did that. I only needed two extra weeks. That's so true. That's like that's nothing so in the scheme of things to have a totally ha- a satisfying experience. You only need two extra weeks. I think, I think too, that, um, actually that's really quite, quite funny, um, is that I, I keep having to go back to my outline, um, because I have to make sure I'm on track, but my outline keeps changing because one of my biggest challenges for all my books is that my, because I write mysteries, um, the, the body, the first body always comes way after page 50, which I know is like a, a taboo, if you like, because you're supposed to have a dead body within the first chapter. And, but I can never, I can never get, pull that off. And I, I think it's because I spend so much time trying to give other possibilities of who could have done it and why, and and flesh that out, I think. And so I think that's also been a challenge for NaNoWriMo because um, I can't get to the meat of the story um, in the time that if I was writing it properly in NaNoWriMo, perhaps I could get it in earlier. So I keep changing the order of the chapters around and that slows me up quite a bit. So you're writing in chronological order. According I always to your do. I've, tr- I've tried. I've, I don't know what you do, Caroline, but I, I've tried doing um, scenes and that's where with NaNoWriMo at the moment, I'm, I'm actually cheating because I'm writing a scene, which I have no idea where it goes, but I know it goes somewhere. And then I'm like writing a lot of fluff in that scene to make my word count. Uh, But that means I still have to uh, eventually print the whole mess out and then rearrange everything, which will be probably take two weeks, actually. The two (laughs) weeks I've saved writing it without NaNoWriMo. 
So yeah, so I find I find I can't. I need to see where I'm going chronologically. Do you write out of order? Can you write out of order? Well, it's funny because I think your your shift here is like, oh, I should be the sort of person who can bash out fifty thousand words, but really, you only need two extra weeks. Me, I think I thought I had the sort of brain that needed to write everything in chronological order, but in reality, I think this time I'm writing one out of chronological order and I'm actually enjoying it more because I have, I'm also writing a mystery this time. And so I know who the first body is and I know who did it, but for the second body, I've just made him such an appalling person and put him in a situation where there's a ton of people who hate his guts for various reasons some he's aware of and some he's not. I mean, he's a total narcissist, so he's not really aware of it at all. But I don't know which one of them is going to do it, but it's likely that any one of them has a solid reason to do so. So I'm just writing towards knowing someone's going to do it. And I'm very excited to find out who pulls it off. I think that's a really good way to, to approach that. And I I have to say that uh, quite a few of my books where I've known who has been the murderer right from the beginning, you know, usually somebody I've met in the street somewhere who I've taken a dislike to. Be very careful. <laughs> I went to the dentist yesterday and I said, if you hurt me, I'm afraid you're going to end up in one of my books. So just be warned. <laughs> but, um, but then at the end, sometimes I find that I've got to know that character that was the murderer. And I think, you know what? I don't think they did it. And so a few times I've had to change right at the very end, the actual murderer, uh, the identity, and then of course, go back and just like, you know, thread it in. But those books, I've, I've, the the feedback I've had on those books. So those books are the ones that where people couldn't believe that that one did it. And then they think about it and thought, oh yeah, of course they did. So those have been my, my more successful plots, if you like, where I've, I've actually changed the murderer at the end because I like them suddenly, you know? So yeah, it's a, it's a good one, but to be in the position you're in is a great position. If you've got lots of red herrings too, and suspects, that's perfect. I hope so. And so I think what I'm doing now is I'm, I know sort of the critical moments and there's the, the sort of moments that have to happen, but as I'm writing them, I'm getting to know these people better and so I'm sort of bouncing around, making sure I know all of them. And then I think I'll have a better sense as I write scenes with them in it, who is most likely to actually yeah. go through with it. That's good. No, that's good. That's a good position. I mean, I mean, because really I, I always find too, um, talking, the one thing I do write out of order, having said I don't, um, <laughs> I, no, I, I'm, so, I'm such an enigma sometimes um is that I the first chapter I I struggle with the first chapter and I know certain people and myself included actually can't can't get started until they have the first chapter or or they or they don't have a title for I often don't have a title until I've actually finished the book and that comes from the publisher saying we'd have to have a title what is it and I'm saying I have no idea <laughs> so but this time, but so often that doesn't work for me, but with my first chapter, I usually do write that last. So uh-huh. I know what has to happen in the first chapter because I'm setting everything up, but the actual wording of every sentence I do after I've finished the book, because in there's that saying, isn't there, that the, um, the end is in the beginning. Mm-hmm. So if you can, if you can 
see that and then plant it in the beginning without your readers spotting that that's what you've done. Um, that, those are my favorite moments when you think, oh, yes, I wonder if they'll spot that I've actually told them what it is all about in chapter one, you know, so, so that's, that's the only time I write out a sequence. Well, I think that's, that's fairly reasonable. I mean, it makes mm. me think of like a deck of cards. Is the ace the first or the last card? Oh, yeah, say. that's true. Yeah. So you're just shifting it and it sort of almost loops back around to the beginning. And I think, I think you have to, or one has to be um, able, especially for someone like me, who's very rigid in my, in my plotting and stuff, is to when something I'm really stuck and I can't go beyond I can't seem to get to the next scene. I always think, well, wait a second, maybe I don't even need this scene. This, And then I put it into my deleted scene folder just in case I might re- resurrect it. Um, or it's like that scene definitely doesn't belong in this position. So mm. those, those, sometimes I do that. Um, but usually it's, and, and the silly thing is, I've been doing this for such a long time now and I still don't, haven't learned to, I still fight for the scenes that, actually don't really fit <laughs> I try to persuade myself they have to um and then then you let go and it's you think oh I didn't need that at all so that's good it's so funny there's things I mean we think oh I've been thinking about this for such a long time and yet there's something new to discover I mean I'm interested oh, in this yeah. yeah no is there something that you found recently Oh no, I th- I think um I think feeling confident when I sit down in the morning to do my NaNoWriMo and then within 5 seconds I'm on the Daily Mail, which is dreadful. I've got to stop doing that. It's such a terrible newspaper. <laughs> um but thanks to you, you mentioned that um software, the Freedom. Oh yeah. I, I just have to that has saved me actually. Um but I should put it on my phone as well because like that's Oh yeah, I'm it's got to be because otherwise I know it's like it's like oh I'm not really looking at it I'm just looking at my phone (laughs) that was that's it so um, but that was such an effective way of getting into that habit because I think that's also the good thing about NaNoWriMo um, is that you are committed to doing word count every day it's more about um do you have to push yourself to do what what everyone's saying is 50,000 because let's face it that is not realistic for good quality right I don't think no I don't think so either I, I and yet if you said ten thousand words in a month, that's also not enough, is it? Because no. it's like you're going to write for ten thousand. What's that? Forty pages. Yeah. It's almost like you need to have that marathon, like mm-hmm. the marathon. But it's um, okay if you fall short because I think it's like it might be that your ideal word count for the month is like thirty-eight thousand words or something. I exactly, feel like you're really exactly. close. I mean, what else is different if you think back to the writing this most recent book and how it worked really well and went really quickly? What else did you do maybe differently than is happening in NaNoWriMo now? Oh, that's a really good question. I think I trusted the process. Um, I think I trusted the process where, and that's been a mantra for me when I've been stuck in everything, that somewhere those moments are I'll be in the shower or walking the dog and and then I, I've got the solution to a problem. And so I I didn't feel that pressure when I was writing in a shorter space of time. Whereas with the NaNoWriMo, the more I'm talking about this, the more I'm talking myself out of it. But then I'm, <laughs> I'm buddies with people. So it's like, I don't want to let them down, you know? 
Um, so it, I, it would be interesting if NaNoWriMo actually did a survey on how, how you know, on an honest survey. I don't know whether they do. They may do a report on on what this does to people's psyche or, <laughs> or drinking problems. You know, it's like, oh, oh no, my God, I, I have to have a glass of wine. Um, but hey. Well, this is the thing that I find really fascinating is that there is this either or mentality with it. Like I've either yes. written mm-hmm. 667 words every day or everything I've done counts for nothing. And I don't yeah. agree with yeah. that. Yeah, I think because so. I think you can do it, but adjust it to fit your own mentality. I mean, that's why I created this whole challenge, ridiculous challenge thing was that I I have this podcast for people to listen to and it's an audio prompt in the style of Mission Impossible every day. I got really into reading them like a weirdo. And then, but then after I only let them be up for that day and then I delete the episodes so that people can't force themselves to catch up. Oh, I love that. How cool is that? I really, that's really, really fun. Tell me this, tell me, tell everyone more about the link. <laughs> You're going to do it next year, aren't you? When well, you it's say still, I mean, because you can join at any point, this episode is oh, live so in November. This, is not, this isn't actually focused on November. So this could be any it is, like. It is November, but November isn't over. Oh, right. Oh, you could, okay, I mean, okay. if you're well, listening then, to this on November 29th, you can still do it still for the do. 29th and the 30th. Oh, um, okay. I, okay. I really like this. I, I, as you know, I got a bit, I was a bit off. I thought it was all part of them dashboard, but now I can look. No, no, up. this is separate. I mean, it's something that I thought people could do whether they wanted to be a part of NaNoWriMo traditionally, or if they just wanted to kind of go rogue. And I came you up with these. Have, <laughs> you might have suddenly stumbled upon something that's going to put that over. I'm kidding. Well, I just I'm came kidding. up with really weird word counts as well. Like I'm like right for 379 words on this prompt. Like, and if you want to keep going, great. But count yourself as a winner at 379 words or whatever I that day's that. number is. And then I found myself one day I wrote 1,800 words because. I was just into it. Um, and I, I think this lo- is the I thing really like that. Yeah. That you're saying is that if you're not focusing, it's sort of like Austin Powers, you know, like ignore this, ignore this is how the word count feels. But if you really do ignore the word count and just say, well, what's going on with these people? And yeah. let's get further into the 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 interaction between them or what's happening or what's interesting about it, then the word count kind of takes care of itself, I find. Oh, I think that's absolutely true. I'm extremely excited about this. And after we've finished our chat, I'm I'm definitely going back on there. So, but of course, <laughs> I've, missed, I've missed seven days effectively. Well, that's I? completely fine because they're not in order. I didn't put them okay. in order. And actually oh, right. the thing that's even more ridiculous is that the very first time I did NaNoWriMo was like 20 years ago, I think, or close to it. And I found out about it about three days before it started. And because a friend told me about it and I was like, oh, why not? I'll try that. And I, and my goal was just to write a horrible book because I didn't know if I had 50,000 words in me, I'd never written an entire novel before. And so every day I would call my brother and ask him, what have you got? And he would give me some harebrained plot point that I 
had to include in the writing that day. Oh, I love that. That's such a cool idea. (laughs) So that was sort of what I wanted to create with this. Um, And I actually got my brother involved. I I have um, special prompts. There are four of them. One of them has already happened. Um, from Interpol. There are directives from Interpol, which is, I got my brother to come up with the weirdest stuff he could think of. Um, And we just put them in because why not? I can't wait to do this. This could, this, I could almost be cheating if I was doing really, really well and then just put my word count in on NaNoWriMo. (laughs) Why not? I don't see why you you can't. Whatever makes it work is important, I think. I think it's it's what whatever whatever gets those words out, which are quality words. It's got to be quality, I think. Well, you've said this a couple of times, and I think this way too. And I love the concept that writers have that we all talk about cheating in writing. I know. Isn't and that what it means? Isn't that the weirdest thing? Even, I know. It's like you're only cheating yourself, but what am I cheating actually? Exactly. Yeah. Like, um, how is it cheating? It's so fascinating because I think that. Like you all can't see this because you're listening, but both of us have bookshelves behind us as we're talking. And I always think about the books on the bookshelf behind me and think, well, does it really matter if any of them, you know, cheated while they were writing these books? Because oh, here yeah. they are, and they, yeah. they, they got here and it's fine. And it doesn't matter if they cheated or not. I I tend to think it's it's this whole um, knowledge that we have of how everyone works now. Whereas back in Agatha Christie's time, nobody was communicating with anybody else anyway, unless they were part of the Bloomsbury set or something and they all met for lunch and all that. But most of the time where it's become so, um, I don't know, all the social media about how you write, what you write, best ways to write. And maybe it does take away the spontaneity, I don't I don't know. I, I'm just thinking off the top of my head at the moment because there's, you know, that wonderful um, TED talk where Elizabeth Gilbert uh-huh. about the creative muse. Yes. Um, and one of the things that resonates with me so much is when she says that the muse comes in and you have to grab it before it goes on to someone else to take care of. And so I'm wondering how much of our, of writing in today's climate is, doesn't take into consideration just capturing that muse as it comes and goes because we're so hung up on, or me, on words, word count and all that. I don't know. Sounds I think you're, I think you're right yeah. because I think it's like word count is the easiest thing to quantify. Like it's the easiest yeah, yes. thing for us to track. It's very difficult to track, like how inspired was I today? Or yeah. what, you know, what were the, what were the, you know, what was the barometric pressure or whatever it was that made me feel like I wanted to write today or who knows what it is. So we have this almost like lucky socks mentality yes. of <laughs> trying to build these, these, yeah. these structures around ourselves to try to control how much we will put out when really I think like Elizabeth Gilbert says, like we just have to get comfortable with the fact that we have no idea how this works. Yeah, that's true. That's so that's so true. It's almost like trying to find a label um, or one hat fits all and it doesn't. And that's part of why there's so many different wonderful voices out there as well. Sean, as you say, I'm sure they're not all hanging up on their on their word count. Um 
But I think yeah, we secretly so we all are. <laughs> I think we all are because we feel like we're supposed to be, but it's not necessarily what works for us. I think also when you talk to other authors, you know, my sort of like we're all, when we chat about deadlines and stuff like that, and then you've got someone that says, you know, I have to write 10 pages a day. There's no way I can write 10 pages a day. That's like 2000 words. I can't do it. Mm-hmm. And yet another one will say, oh, as long as I've done 500 words, that's my day done. And I do it in an hour and then I carry on with my life. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I wish I could do that. So it's almost <laughs> like every time I'm always trying to find the perfect solution to how I write each book. And I, each time I start a new book, I think, right, this time I'm going to write this quicker and I'm not going to be hung up on blah, blah, blah. And each time it's the same. <laughs> so but maybe that's my process just like you you talk about processes you know and that's why I need your prompts your mission (laughs) important I mean maybe and yeah maybe it's okay I mean with 17 books I mean I think that whatever you're doing is clearly working I think I think it's I'm only happy when I can I'm sort of like coming to the end of a book and I can see the end, but that moment at the beginning of anxiety of thinking, Oh gosh, I don't think I can do this. And I know I'm not the only one. There's some, the wonderful Carolyn Hart, who's written 60 books. She's retired from writing now and she's in her eighties and stuff. And each time she said, I never thought I could do another book. And she's written all those books. It's just like you start out with that blank page, which is the hardest, isn't it? of everything I think I almost feel like that feeling of I don't know if I can do this it's just like a sign on the road of writing a book it's like everyone passes that sign I I hope I think they do or or those that don't I don't like them very much (laughs) I have yet to meet anyone who doesn't have that thought at least for a moment I I I think, have I ever met? No, I think you're right. I don't think I've actually met someone who doesn't say, oh, well, I did have a bit of a sticky beginning or something rather than, oh, I just sit down at the computer and it just flows out of my fingers and I can write for hours and hours and not stop for lunch. And I think, oh my God, who are you? Yeah. How is this possible? I just don't think it is. I think people, we we all want to be that and anything less than that, we feel like we're doing something wrong when I don't think we are. And I'm also in awe of historical writers, writers who write historicals and the amount of research they do. So they can't, to be able to do all that, surely they have to be sort of stopping to do research and everything. I, I can't imagine unless, you know what I mean? Because I'm, I'm sorry. Um, so I think, I think, um, that that's also that that must be a different style of writing as well because each time you write something new in in a historical you'd have to stop if you weren't aware of what you know I don't know midwifery or something so yeah. I just came, thought about it actually I know um, I have I have stopped myself from doing things set in historical periods for that reason as well because I worry that I wouldn't get it right or I wouldn't have a timeline. I have things that reference historical periods, but not where it's happening in the like, present like, timeline like, of the book. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to write a historical. I, I would, um, but I think it would take me years to do it because I have this odd, I, I liked, 
I do a lot of research or backstory and it might only have one sentence in the book. It's just like, I need to know everything about that topic, even if it's not really relevant to perhaps a plot twist or something. So I, I think historicals will definitely slow me slow me down to a, the speed of a glacier, I reckon. I think uh, me I'd as well. I'd still like to write one though. But. I think it'd be really fun. I'm curious... So, but given this whole topic of like cheating and and so on, if it wasn't cheating, if we didn't think of it as cheating, is there is there something that you would just say, this is my process? You know, when we feel like, oh, I'm tricking myself, maybe more the tricking myself, like I'm the games and tricks you reference. Like what games and tricks do you play with yourself in order to get do, through the process? It's funny, I, I did, um, I, I, I still do that too. I write down how many hours a day I write. And I started that when I was, I don't know, 20 years ago, because I wanted, I didn't feel like I was a real writer because I hadn't been published and I was still sort of learning the ropes. And then um, it was like, start out thinking you're a writer and just keep track of your writing time. So I would, it might say 15 minutes. I wrote for 15 minutes. It might've been rubbish. So I started counting my hours as opposed to my word count. So word count for me is quite tricky. And so I knew how many hours it would take me to write a book, which is weird. I know like first draft, second draft, and each book came out as around six to 700 hours of, of time. That's I became so cool. And it was really strange how it just each time it came out, but the last one, and perhaps this is probably the new book that's coming out Maybe it's not as good as the other books because it took me a lot less time. I, I don't know. Um, or perhaps I'm finally getting to know all the characters 10 books in, you know, because I don't have to do, I don't have to spend a lot of time creating new characters and locations because everything is there. So perhaps that might be why it's quicker to write a, a series book once you get going on a series. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> So I don't think this is cheating or trickery. It's just what it's if just me, right? Yeah. It's just what if friend. you just you? I mean, if you know to a very fairly accurate level how many hours it takes to write a book, that seems completely respectable to me. Well, of course, then you've got the other one where I count backwards from my drop dead deadline because my ah. um, deadline is quite close to my publishing date. So this book. Uh, a Killer Christmas, very original mm-hmm. title. Um, I turned that in in June and it's mm-hmm. coming out in November. And in between those couple of months, I've had copy edits, proofs, typeset pages, everything. So I, I can't, I can't say in June, I'm sorry, I need another month. So, because otherwise I miss, miss the publication date because it comes out every year in right. November. Um, and um, so often I'll have counted backwards from June, knowing how many hours I need to make that deadline. And I realize I don't have an, I don't have enough. And that's when I panic. And that's when I start getting up at four o'clock in the morning to, to, because I know how many hours it takes me. So, um, that's fascinating. So, but that I'm going to say this now, this is my process. Yes. This is, this is how I do it. So, so when you don't have the option to say, I need another month because there is a publication date. How do you deal with any points when you feel stuck in the middle? Because there isn't an option to, to have more time. 
So I'm interested in what tools or methods you use to get through any panicky or stuck or uncertain points in the book. That's a, that's a good question. And I, I go back to Karen and Hart again, when, um, who has been such a mentor to me too. And I, I would call her in a panic saying the same thing, like I'm stuck. And she, the two things she said was, um, just have a package arrive. Just <laughs> someone receives a package and you don't know what it's, what's in it or why. And so I have used that a couple of times, not knowing what's in it, but oddly enough, it's, it was enough for something to generate the story to continue in some way. I mean, I'm not saying it was like the Ronin elusive case. Remember that movie? Which oh, yeah. With the best car chase scenes ever. Oh, absolutely. And they never knew what, they never knew what was in the case. Ever. No. Nobody knew. But so I always make sure that what's in this package, I find out. But I have, I have employed that just to, even if I end up taking that out in a chapter later, but it, it somehow, it generates some action and some response from my characters. So I, I, I sometimes do that. Or I go back to my character Bibles, which I use all the time, and, and find a secret that one of those characters has. When, when I did my original character Bibles for all of them, I'll think, oh, I haven't, I think it's time for that secret to come out. And then that mm. will often jumpstart the story again. Um, it could be something so small, but it's just some, just something that you throw in, um, that will just start the story moving again. It's interesting because both of those are not related to the direct plot of the story. It's more, I almost like the element of like, you have the story laid out in an outline, but having something else bounce off of it to create almost like a third a third thing that comes from that, that combination, if that makes sense. It's, it's, and also I find by some miracle, it's probably the creative muse or whatever, is that that sort of um, contrived gimmick, if you like, whether or not it's a secret or a package, somehow it ends up in the overall storyline. Somehow it links. And I think it's a subconscious thing that's magic that happens so it's like somehow you make it all fit together and it just Completely. comes. So, so I think that's, that's helpful sometimes. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, I think, yeah, there's so much going on under the surface Yeah, that I so, feel like I'm not aware of in a first draft. I think that's true. And I, I think too, with the first draft is that you, you really do have to just get down the bones. And I know there's that amazing book about, you know, just getting it all down there. Um, but I I try not to be too attached to that, to that first draft because I throw out probably 80% of a first draft. Really? Yeah. Um, at least 80. So then how many drafts do you go through? I do five. So okay. I do, yeah. So my, my fourth is sort of like it's done. And then I just go polish just to polish so the second draft is the the hardest one of all because I'm reading the first draft which I want to and I want to kill myself because it's so bad (laughs) and do you realize there's so much work to do on the third draft so there's all the second draft which basically for me is more like um cutting editing deleting stuff that just doesn't work 
but I don't, I don't actually write right in the second draft. I'm just basically culling and trying to find that storyline um, because otherwise I'd never, I'd never finish it. If I kept agonizing over a particular character or, or, a, or a scene that was not going to end up in the third draft anyway. So Got it. that's how I do it. But some people, I know some people write like three drafts and they're done and two drafts and they're done. And I say, wow, I'm impressed. I, I can't. No, yeah. no, I think I'm on yeah. 11 for my novel oh, my first, finished. I was just going to say, I was just going to say my, my very first Vicky Hill book, I wrote 11 drafts. Was eleven, and in that first book, when I got um, I got a, a contract with Berkeley at the time. It was a long time ago now, and um, but she wouldn't give it to me. She said, "Unless you, I want you to change from first person from first person third person to first. She said, so go Oof. back and write it in first person. I don't want it set in the seventies because it was a contemporary time where the story was set. Because that was oh. when I was a newspaper reporter and all that." Um, and she said and that, that whole thing about the um, there's a bit of a black magic thing in there and our readers don't tend to read that as a cozy mystery. So she said, so take all that out, um, come back in six months and then we'll see whether or not we want to buy the series. So I, oh my I, God. Did, that. I, I did spend six months rewriting the whole thing and then I got three books and um, and not knowing whether or not they were going to do it either. That but is, the thing is, so how did you stay motivated through that period? I think I had this obsession about wanting to be published by my 50th birthday. Mm. And, so, and that was what was driving me was that if if I don't get this done, then I it's not gonna, it won't happen, you know. Um, but just for those that are writing, um, is that uh, editors they fall in love with the character in a series. And so sometimes it's not even about writing a brilliant plot. Um, this is something I often like to talk to talk about, actually, is that so many books that I read that I absolutely love um, and I would read a hundred times. I can't actually remember what's happening in the story that much. <laughs> I fall in love with the scenes and the interaction between the characters or the energy between the characters. So, well, of course, a good, I think that's yeah. true for me as well, actually. I mean, I, I, I definitely like a good page turner. You know, yeah. I, I could I love that. But I can't at the end of it. I couldn't say this is what happened. And then that happened. And and then she did this and then he died. It's more like, oh, I remember that scene when they're in the rain and, you know, he's saying this or something. I, I don't know. So I'm sure I think that's true. I just finished. um David Stafford's latest in the Skeleton's Guide series. I don't know if you've read that one yet. I haven't. It sounds like and a good I love it. Yeah, it's great. It's great. And it is a historical, so you'll enjoy that. But it doesn't... I feel like it's a historical that people who don't want to research at that level can handle. Like it's set in a particular time period and some of the news and things are referenced. But he doesn't like obsess about shoe fastenings or you know oh, right, all, of right. the, all of the things that you can get into with that but the thing I am obsessed with the main character his paralegal because he's a barrister and then the paralegal that works with him or the legal assistant is so eccentric and then the they, there's a woman who works for um 
the attorney who gets a lot of cases to them. And just like the combination of these characters, like I don't care what they're doing. If they're like planning a picnic, I'm also obsessed with the main character's wife. Who's, and I'm just like, the, the crime is like incidental to me. I just want to yeah. see them doing stuff together and then I'm happy. I, th- I think that's also what is, captures um, readers for a mystery series anyway. So it's more like if it's an ongoing series, um, readers will, they're just sort of, oh, I can't wait to be back with the friends I've made in, in this particular village or something. Because they it's like watching like Doc Martin on TV, mm-hmm. which I know is just finished for Doc Martin fans. Um, it's just like you just want to go back to feeling that cu- comfort, the familiarity of the characters that are ongoing. And if there's a murder along the way, that's all the more fun. Um, as long as it's not killing off a main character, of oh, course. Oh, don't do that. No. Very tempting. I know. I've, it's it's funny, isn't it? When, when have um, you have you ever considered it? Uh I yeah, actually, I was going to in my first series, Vicky Hill, um, she has this sort of um I don't know, his name was Steve. He was like, Uh drove the ambulances and stuff like that. And I was determined to kill him off. But (laughs) it turned out that I kind of fell in love with him a little bit. So he's been an ongoing character for a long time. Um, So I haven't ever, there's no one large I could kill off, actually. You you know, a recurring character that I could kill off, I think. Yeah, it's bad enough having to sort of handle a romantic relationship with um, recurring characters. Oh yeah. I'm getting into that challenge now where it's either get together or just end it, you know, stop dithering. Um, (laughs) I know it's so helpful to like have the the tension and work with the tension. Then you're like, what do I do with it? If they're actually together, does it then have to be dysfunctional so that it's still interesting or... I know, because I, I, I mean, some some of the mysteries have worked really well where they've got married and then they've become mm-hmm. like a duo. Um, yeah. But I, half the fun is is the tension of will they, won't they? You know, that's half the fun, really. Yeah, that's so. like the one um, with Georgie, who's the the one. Oh, oh Reese Bowen's book. Yeah, yeah Reese Bowen's George. It's like. That went on for like 12 books of them. Like, oh, they all, oh, 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 with Darcy. It was just like, oh my God, you guys. Yeah, and there, I, that's the thing. I know, that's the thing. And I, what was it? I What I did one time in one of my newsletters, I sent out a question and I said, do you feel that Kat Stanford, my antique dealer, yeah. should, um, should end up with the Sean, the police officer? And I got a flurry of replies, which were more confusing <laughs> than ever. They were they ranged from like, oh God, he's such a drip. You oh, know, no. To, oh no, she has to marry him. And then I thought, oh, I should never have done this now. So um anyway, he's he's not as present in this particular book. He's still around, but yeah. So I've avoided it. I've avoided it. You just punted it for this one. I have, yeah, until I know for sure. Because I've actually fallen in love with another character now this time. <gasps> then you could have a love triangle you could carry that for a while I can I think I could do a love triangle for two books I reckon and then I still she still has to decide yeah there's gonna have to be and so then there will have to be a reckoning there'll have to be a reckoning exactly amazing so So what would you say I love the advice that you've given about the package is crazy here you don't have to know what's inside it at all could be a pair of shoes (laughs) <laughs> or one 
you or a dead hand you know a cut oh, hand or a dead hand is amazing a hand or or a crow or any threatening type of package oh that, that's good you know. Yeah. Is there, are there any other like sneaky tricks like that that you use that you can recommend to someone who's sitting in the middle going, oh my God, I don't know what to do next? I think I think if it's a murder, um, it's always some mistake that the killer might have made or left mm. something behind the crime scene or something mm-hmm. like that. That's always quite useful. Um, I feel like mistakes the- are good in any book. It's like we never yeah, exactly. think about people making mistakes, but I'm like, oh, it's always more interesting when people make mistakes. I mean, I sometimes like Google um, idiot burglars or something, oh, you know, the best. and then they will pop up all these stories about people that with their, they accidentally use their cell phone or, or <gasps> you know, stuff, crazy stuff like that I'll, I'll, I'll find and then perhaps adapt it or something. Um, I'm trying to think what's up with the murky middle thing. Um, it's just so difficult. Oh, then obviously you like you reverse. You you say what is the worst possible thing that could happen to this yeah. character, right? And yeah, not, you know weather. Weather is always quite good to manipulate mm-hmm. uh, stuff like that. Um, yeah, I have to look at my list. I think my, those my are really good. Checklist, but those will start with. I think those are excellent. Yeah, make the weather worse, less friendly to what's going on. Make the circumstances worse or have someone make a mistake. Yeah, making a mistake is is good. And also um, even... It, it could be like a natural, like the washing machine breaks or the, there's a flood or something that it's all, it's got to be something that provokes or prompts some action in some way out of that rut of um, what people are, you know, in the middle bit. The middle is yes. horrible. Everyone struggles with the middle. It's true. I like something breaks because then you have to have a repairman and they might say something in passing that gives yeah, you a new thought. Someone, exactly. Or, or or whatever they say sparks something. Exactly. A or something like that. That works. Yep. I love it. Thank um, you so much for all of these thoughts and ideas and for being so open about how it's going from the inside. I think it's just so validating for people to know that even after 17 books, there's still uncertainty that everything isn't perfectly lined up and, and working like a, you know, like a little book factory. Like, like I'm a demon, exactly. Like I'm a, I sit down and it just flows and it's like, hey, that's number 17, done, cross it off, you know. No, <laughs> no it's, it's always, it's still the same. And it's, I can answer for most, I would say, of my author friends, my kindred spirits, that we're all, we're, we're all in the same moment starting a book or in the middle of a book or facing a deadline it's it's that I think that's why writing is so hard and why then people say it's hard they I don't think they realize that it's often the mental beating up that goes is part of the actual physical writing as well definitely Yeah. But if we can just accept, okay, this is how this works and that's okay. Yes, and maybe exactly. that part doesn't have to be so bad. There was that, um, I can't remember who quoted it. It's a, a famous quote where I, it could even be Dorothy Parker. It's like, I'm more unhappy not writing than when I am writing. Mm. <laughs> so. There's another one that's like, is it the one that's like, I hate writing. I love having written. Oh yeah. I love that. Uh, now that, that is one as well. Me. 
That is definitely me. When I've had a, you know, I've done a pretty okay day, I am chipper, chipper, chipper. So, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's a favorite of mine too. I love that. Yeah. Mm. So everyone go get Killer Christmas and enjoy a fun holiday murder. You can get it ahead of time and hole up with it this winter. Or um, I think it would be an excellent gift as well for murder lovers. Yes. It's um, it's just a, the 10th, but the ninth book, actually, in mm. the Honeychurch Hall series um, of featuring Kat Stanford, who's um, an antique dealer, and her mother, Iris, who is, who is my favorite. I love Iris. Uh, she writes rom- uh, romance, uh, but they're real like cheesy bodice ripper type stuff. And but it's a secret. Nobody knows she does it. And of course, along comes, as usual, you know, a murder, a dead body here and there. Excellent. But as it's set on a, a country estate, um, I've been a. I like. I like to always like mention about some of the old English country houses and estates and what's happening to them now and all that. Um, but I, I talk about a stampery in this one, which mm. is um, rather, rather fun, you know, to have Victorian stampery um, and the ha-ha, which is also another Victorian addition in, uh, in that, uh, even though it's contemporary. So mm. I do, it's like a contemporary Downton Abbey meets Midsummer Murders. That's what they're which like. Which is basically heaven on earth as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> there you go beautiful well everyone enjoy it and thank you so much Hannah for coming on well thank you for chatting to me I've enjoyed talking about NaNoWriMo actually yeah it's been it's been great and I I can't wait to launch myself into my Mission Impossible prompt so that's what I'm going to do right now (laughs) excellent Tired of ads interrupting your favorite show? Good news. Ad-free listening on Amazon Music is included with your Prime membership. Just head to amazon.com slash ad-free fitness to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Enjoy thousands of ACAST shows ad-free for Prime subscribers. Some shows may have ads.